So we're going to kind of tie uh, this past several months uh, together tonight. I'm going to talk to you about uh, supernatural increase, the indispensable factor. Say that with me, the indispensable. Indispensable what? Factor. And I want you just to meditate on that word for just a moment. Indispensable simply means you can't do without it. It's absolutely necessary. The thing we'll talk about tonight is essential. It is critical. Say this with me. It is absolutely, positively necessary. If this element is not operating in your life, you're not going to see increase in revelation, increase in wisdom, increase in in, in material resources, increase in the power of God, increase in the supernatural. How many just don't want to observe miracles, but you want the Lord to move in you and through you? You want to see the Lord do these things in you and through you. It's critical you understand this. It is indispensable, meaning you cannot do without it. Uh, Over in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we'll come back to this later on tonight in verse 30. It simply says this, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained or basically set aside or ignored. There's nothing good going to happen when we dishonor the Lord. I want to make this simple statement and then jump off of this tonight. Honor attracts the power of God and dishonor repels it. Honor attracts the power of God, but dishonor repels it. I don't know about you, but we've been in this too long to repel the power of God. You know, we've not been teaching the Word, being faithful to God and seeking God and staying on our course as a congregation, you know, to, to find ourselves where, you know, we're repelling the very thing we've been believing for by not having this thing called honor well understood and applied to our lives. In fact, I'll say it like this. Honor is so rare in our day and in our culture that the person who honors God sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, you can just tell. And they, I believe, emit a homing beacon for the favor and the power and the goodness and the increase of God. When he sees honor in somebody's life, I'm telling you what, he is zeroed in on that person's life, and you can expect increase in every area of life. But it's still rare. Let me redefine honor again for you tonight. It simply means to give the greatest weight to, respect to, attention to, to greatly esteem and adhere to. In other words, we have given the greatest weight to the things of God, to the Lord, to His Word. And it means to respect, to receive, to welcome with the great honor in our hearts. You know, uh, we're not much for protocol in the West. We don't have a, a, you know, a, a king or a queen. We have politicians, and too often in times there, there's no honor in them, and there's no honor to them. That's just where we are right now as a culture. But you know, when you really welcome something, you do it with internal pomp and circumstance. There's nothing keeping you from having celebratory honor in any situation in your life. When a Sunday school teacher, you know, Sunday school teacher stands up to make a lesson, you could be, oh, well, it's just Sunday school, or you can have pomp and circumstance in your heart. You know what that's going to do for you? That's going to cause you to increase in whatever's operating in their life and to receive every good thing God intended for you to have and for you just to grow up a little bit more in the things of God and be in a better position, you know, afterwards than before to receive from God. Say it with me, pomp and circumstance. The body of Christ could use more of this. Amen. And I don't want to offend anybody, but I'll just tell you the way it is. This is particularly an issue in the white church. 
Now, I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just trying to help you out here that, that if you're not careful, pomp and circumstance has been replaced by contempt. Amen. Disregard. Ignore. You know, it's kind of like, well, that's just Jesus. You know, he's this, uh, you know, the son of a carpenter, and here's his brothers, and here's his, his sisters, you know, and there's his mother. Uh, if you're not careful, you, you rob yourself by having a lack of honor on the inside of you. Uh, right now in, in our country, there's far more demonstration of this in the African-American community and in the Hispanic community. That's just the way it is. Uh, everybody is, uh, is, uh, is flesh and no one's perfect yet. Does that make sense? Um, but you'll see this and you'll sense this and, and there's nothing stopping you from being a person of great honor. For the things of God, for the people of God, for the mission of God. Everyone else can be cavalier. Everyone else can, you know, have, you know come see, come saw kind of mentality. But on the inside of you, you can have great pomp and circumstances for the things that God is doing in your life. Say it with me, I celebrate. So it's important you understand this because the power of God is actually repelled by those that actually dishonor him. So what we're saying tonight is everything we've talked about, Everything we've mentioned, all seven of these factors, they're all basically a manifestation of honor. Every single one of them. In doing them, we honor God. In ignoring them, we dishonor Him. And not just doing them, but doing them with all of our heart. Can I have an amen? amen. Anybody can just do something and not have the heart behind it. So it's not just the actions, it's the spirit behind those actions. So I want you to, to see this uh, in Scripture how when people connected to that honor, they connected to the power of God in Scripture. We're going to start over in Luke chapter 4 and spend some time in several of these uh, New Testament and uh, gospel narratives. And say it with me, honor is absolutely indispensable in my life. In, uh, in Luke 4, Jesus returns in verse 14 to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside and he taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Now you highlight that, you style that, you underline that and you realize that Jesus made a habit of going to church. And if the Son of God needed to go to church... If the Son of God needed to go to church, then the people of God sure do need to go to church. And he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, really, Copeland and a lot of uh, you know New Testament scholars today actually believe that what Jesus did is this was his, uh, his go-to sermon wherever he traveled. That he would go to Isaiah and he would read the scripture and then he would begin to preach a message based on what the prophet said the anointed one would do. And then he would do the things that the anointed one would preach. Do you see this? All from this prophetic utterance. And he would preach this message regularly. And it says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you read Isaiah, you'll find out that he stops there before he gets to the vengeance part. Because that's not the day that he came to manifest. It's the year of favor. Right now, you're still in what? You're still in the season of favor. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. 
Um, and because you're a child of God, you'll never know the vengeance of God. So all you have left is favor. It's just like you've been redeemed from the curse, so all that's left for you is the blessing of God. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, now see, this is why we think it's a sermon. He began at that point. Today, this scripture is fulfilled, what? In your hearing. I'm the one here that the prophet's talking about. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now, how do you understand, being impressed with, with a sermon or oratory does not mean somebody's honoring what's coming forth. That's exactly what you see here. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Is that not what they said to him when he was being crucified and went through the passion for you and for me? Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. This means no, one, no prophet is welcomed, honored, esteemed, amen, received, adhered to, anything you can put to describe that word. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now, this is not just a statement of fact. This is an indictment. If anybody should be able to see the hand of God in somebody's life, it should be somebody that's known them all their lives. Like Polly Wigglesworth knowing them when the Spirit of God hit Smith Wigglesworth, that's not my Smith. Instead of, oh, that's just Smith, what's he doing up there? You see the difference? It's to a congregation's great honor that they respect and honor those that have come up among them. Yes. Not just treat them as nothing. Right. You see that? Because that attitude in you, it's not hindering them. You understand? God will still do what he needs to do in them and through them. It's hindering you from receiving from what God has put inside of that person. But he says this, I assure you, now notice again, no prophets accepted in his hometown. So what, what he's saying is, you're not showing me honor. You're not receiving me. You're not welcoming me. You're not esteeming me. Here's the point. And he said, I tell you the truth. He continued, no prophets accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of what? Inside. Do you understand that of all the Jews that he could have sent the prophet to, who's, who, is, who has sent the prophet? In their eyes, a woman who is not clean like us. She's not worthy of that. He continues on. And there were many lepers, or the men in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. This man is responsible for the deaths of thousands, if not tens of thousands of Jews. And here he is saying, the prophet is sent to Naaman, the prophet is sent to a, a non-complete or whole woman. See this? Not of our lineage. And how many understand that they're not getting happy about hearing this? They go from, oh, listen to the gracious words to, next verse, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, and they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill to which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. 
I can actually say that's not happened to me in all the years of my ministry. Praise the Lord. I think that uh, we should expect more out of born-again people. Amen? But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So I'm, I'm reading this and, and meditating on this. And, uh, you know, big famine, prophets sent to basically what? The last person you would think he would send the prophet to. Big problem with, with leprosy and who gets, who gets the prophet sent to him? This non-covenant Gentile, listen, general who has opposed the armies of God. And you have to ask yourself this question like I do, why? Ex, you know, exclamation, question mark, exclamation, question Why would these two individuals, out of all the people, have that person you know, sent to them? In other words, the answer of God, the, the prayer, the, the solution, the redemption, the deliverance, the supernatural intervention, the increase, the goodness of God, the favor of God. Why would these two people have that opportunity? In fact, what he's saying here, and the reason they got mad is because they, they understood exactly what he was saying. He's saying, you know how you all are receiving me? That's how your ancestors receive Elijah and Elisha. And that's why. That's why they weren't sent to your predecessors. They were sent to these other people. In contrast to the Israelites in the days of Elijah and Elisha, there was dishonor. There was welcome, uh, not welcome. They were not received. They were not respected. They had damaged reputation. All you have to do to damage somebody's reputation that's a servant of God is talk about them. Are you here tonight? They disapproved of that. But the widow and Naaman somehow caught the attention of God and somehow, even with limited knowledge, they honored and respected and received and welcomed what God had for them. Neither one of them perfect. Does that make sense? Uh, make me first a cake. That wasn't the first time she heard the order. She was already commanded to provide. Uh, Naaman, you want me to dip down in that water? What's wrong with the waters from my own home country? But he was talked into obeying by that little servant girl. But there was something fundamentally in these two people that Jesus is saying, we're not in all of you. It's called honor. Not perfection. It's called honor. Matthew 10.40, the Bible says this, He who receives you receives what? Me. And he who receives me receives the Father who sent me. So Jesus sends a prophet, and you honor the prophet. Who are you honoring? You're honoring Jesus. Who are you honoring? You're honoring the Father. Nothing has changed to this day. This is the same way this works. We have to make sure that in what we're doing, we're actually walking in honor. Look at somebody and say, honor, not perfection. There was nothing perfect about this woman at Zarephath. There was nothing perfect about Naaman. And yet, out of all the people, guess where the prophet goes? Amen. How many of you like to have that increase in your life? How many of you like to have that come your way? Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, honor is like a homing beacon. God will always find the Christian who honors God. If there's a million people there, he'll find the one that's walking in honor. Honor is rare, but it doesn't have to be rare in your life. 
Come on, say it. I stick out like a sore thumb because I walk in honor. Why? It's indispensable. I, I can't get along without it. It's absolutely necessary. In uh, Luke chapter 5, what happens when there is no honor? Luke chapter 5, if you go there. We have a few portions of this. Verse 17, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village in Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And how many know they all weren't there to honor and receive and welcome? And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, how many say it's a pretty good chance that there's some sickly or weak or feeble Pharisees in that group? That somebody needed something in this gathering. They weren't coming to welcome and receive from him. They were coming to judge and parse and criticize, expose, trip up. And some men carrying a paralytic on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this, they, because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles of the, of the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now it's time for those that came to criticize and to parse and to judge and to trip up to what? To jump in there, we've, we've got him now. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, that's a dangerous thing to do with a man of God. Because what? He's tapped into the Spirit of God. And not only is he operating in the gifts of the miraculous and healing, he's operating in the gift of the word of knowledge. And write with it in this story the gift of the word of wisdom, what to do with that knowledge. And here's what he says. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them all. He took what he had said, had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and he gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. How many know the Pharisees weren't in that group that were giving praise to God that day? Do you see this? So the power was there, was present to heal the sick. But the one that they were raising their eyebrows to and using as their object lesson, you forgive him, who do you think you are? They received nothing, but the paralytic goes home forgiven and saved. You could say it like this. The one that received and welcomed Jesus went home transformed. The one that not received and welcomed Jesus, they went back the same way they came. Just as religious and dead and judgmental as when they first came there. Go over to Mark chapter 6. Say it again. Honor is indispensable. Mark chapter 6. Verse 1, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Again, amazement does not mean honor. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given him? And he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they what? They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house as a prophet without honor, he could not do 
any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at the lack of faith. Notice there he, he mentions specifically a lack of honor. Watch this. And honor, dishonor manifests in offense and lack of faith. Lack of fidelity to the things of God. Um, you want to know what offense is? If somebody gets offended at you, I'll tell you what it is. It's a total and complete lack of honor. And it will never work for a Christian. I've sometimes been amazed at how much devastation can come from offense. As I meditate and study this out, I understand why. Because God, listen, God is not going to bless dishonor. And offense is like one of the telltale signs that dishonor is operating in our lives. Amen? It should honor God, honor His Word, honor one another. Can I have a better amen tonight? If, if it's indispensable, then we have to see that when someone's getting into offense, they're not honoring the person they're offended at. Well, they're not worthy of honor. They're your brother, they're your sister, they're still worthy of what? Why? Not because they're perfect, but because we're talking about what's emanating from you not what's coming from them. See, we give up as a believer. We give up the right to base our reaction based on how people are treating us. We die and our life's hidden in Christ. So we're supposed to respond in what? Things like love, things like honor. Is that right? Somebody can treat you horribly, but you can celebrate them in your heart. And I didn't say there was anything easy about this. Because when somebody mistreats you, you don't want to celebrate them in your heart. You want to knock them in the next county and then celebrate when they land. You want to celebrate for another reason. When they get run over, you want to celebrate. When they get theirs, you want to celebrate. Isn't that right? But somebody walking in honor is not celebrating them getting theirs. You're celebrating past the offense and past the hurt or whatever it is. And you're concentrating on this because this is not one of like 15 things. If you get something right, everything will be okay. You miss this. Nothing's going to work for you in your life as a Christian. Nothing. But if you get this, everything is going to work for you. Everything is going to be all right if you learn to develop and walk in. Uh, say it with me. It's indispensable. In this story, he couldn't do many miracles there because they did not honor him. Again, the power was present, obviously, but they didn't receive, they didn't welcome, they didn't esteem him, they took offense at him. And that is the ultimate dishonor is to walk in offense. We think that we can honor God and go around dishonoring each other. No. As much as lies with you, live at peace with all men, and walk in honor even when someone's not been honorable towards you. Say, so, well, not very many people can do that. That's just too hard. That's exactly why a lot of people don't walk in God's best. But they can. God still says in his word, I'll honor those who honor me. Say, so, he will honor those that honor him. Part of honoring him is keeping his commandments. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself on what? On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. You cannot walk out of love and maintain a life of honor. You can't do it. Um, I believe in this house are people that are, that are cultivating honor and going to walk in honor. 
Amen. And the God of honor is going to visit your house. And you're not going to be the Pharisee with something wrong in your body showing up with the powers present to heal the sick and go home just as worse as you came or worse than you came. Amen. You're going to go home changed and transformed. Uh, go to Matthew 12. Again, we're just uh, seeing how he was received. Matthew 12, verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so they could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But look at this. But when the sniveling Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. He is driving out demons by by the devil himself. Um, how many of you know that's a pretty dishonorable thing to say? Let alone think, but to, but to say this instead of rejoicing, we're seeing Isaiah 61 fulfilled right in our midst. Praise the Lord. These are people who had Isaiah 61 memorized. And yet they couldn't recognize it. Manifesting right in front of their eyes through his ministry. And so he's casting out devils by what? By the devil himself. Well, Jesus, first of all, taught them that a house divided will not stand. A devil casts out devils. You know, how's that going to work? Then he goes on to talk about the danger of attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to demon activity. And how that will not be forgiven in this life or the life to come. Let me help you out here. There are two kinds of people that are in trouble in this earth spiritually. Everybody say two kinds. One is one that blasphemes the Holy Spirit. Not the Father, not the Son, but blasphemes the Holy Spirit, attributes the work of God to demonic activity. There is no remedy. There is no repentance. There is no desire at that point to repent. There is nothing but condemnation waiting for them. There is no remedy. So even if you don't understand something, and I'm talking to some people tonight, about the third great awakening, don't run around trying to say what is written of God. Just wait on God that the Lord calls understanding to come. Keep your mouth shut about things you don't understand. Because you're likely, likely to see some things that you've never seen or heard before. And we'll do what we always do. Judge things by the word of God. Let the spirit of God do what he wants to do. But it's not just what the Spirit does, it's how people respond to Him that is different in a time of awakening. And people walking in love will let those people have their moment. Can I have a better amen than that? Because they may fall, they may roll, they may jump the pews. Who knows what they'll do? You may see a Lutheran breakdance. Don't hold your breath, but you just might see something like that. So what's our job is to, to realize that he may be doing some things you're not familiar with that are still in line with Scripture, but because they're not of your persuasion or background or experience, you curl your nose up, be careful. Like everybody that ever stood in the pulpit and announced that tongues was of the devil, dangerous stuff, my brother. That's a good way to die young. And if not that, have everything blow up in your face. And if it's really heartfelt in that declaration. You, you make this thing and you sway other people with that. You committed something that's not even pardonable. Everybody say honor. Where does that come from? That's the highest 
you know, manifestation of dishonor anywhere in Scripture. The Son of God who came to do nothing but to die for their sins. He is the fulfillment of the one they have memorized the Scriptures about and they can't even see it. And even worse than that, they label him a devil. Casting out devils. Dishonor. There's another influence operating in this land right now, and it's called cancel culture. And because people don't like that, now they try to rephrase it to consequence culture or blah, blah, blah. Can I tell you something? You do not want to be a part of that. Not openly, not in writing, not in posts, and not in your heart. Because God's not just looking at your dishonorable speech and writing and posts. He's looking what? At the lack of honor or the presence of honor in your heart. And when one person decides what they're going to do is because somebody made a mistake, they're going to write them off, get them fired, keep them from being hired anywhere, run their name into the ground, and blast them on social media and mainstream media, and cancel them like they don't exist because they weren't perfect. You just made the Matthew 18 mistake. And the person that is like that, listen, God doesn't cancel anybody. The blasphemer will be canceled but the person who cancels others will be canceled by God. You don't want to be one of these two groups of people. And all you have to do to stay out of that cancel thing is walk in honor towards people. What's happening now across the country is people who are on their bandwagon themselves are now being canceled. Because somebody on earth something found out they weren't perfect. Look at somebody and go ahead and tell them, I know you're not perfect, so let's just skip it. We'll just skip the whole cancel thing and just admit that we all need a Savior. We all need forgiveness. We all need redemption. At the heart of this cancel culture is dishonor. I don't have to honor you because of what you tweeted, what you said, what you implied, what you did. And it's not even what you did. It's what your great, 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 great grandfather did. Well, guess what? I'm not responsible for my great, 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 great grandfather did or said. I'm responsible for what I said or did. This entire thing is unscriptural to the hilt. How dare Christians buy into this stuff and second it and enforce it and even allow it into their pulpits? You take it to the bank here, according to what Jesus said in Matthew 18. You have a million dollar debt, spiritually forgiven and you go find another brother with a $20 bill debt towards you, and you won't forgive that person, your entire sin debt will come back on your head. And the way Jesus describes it in Matthew 18, there is no gnashing and weeping going on in heaven. These people are not going to be with you and me in eternity. Who are they? The cancelers. Don't be a, say it with me, don't be a blasphemer. Don't be a counselor. I mean, not with your words, but also in your heart. You don't have to be best buddies with everybody. You don't have to agree with what they've done. When you get to the place where you are in your heart or behavior or words or action canceling people because you found out they weren't perfect, you're in danger yourself, not being canceled by CNN, but being canceled by him. And not by his design, but this is the way it is going to be. Those that show no mercy, those that do not forgive, guess what? They can't enjoy the forgiveness and the mercy of God. It's big time. Say it with me. I'm not going to cancel, and I'm not going to blaspheme.
Well, it's not honorable. Amen? Go to John 8 real quickly. Does the Bible say that mercy triumphs over judgment? Doesn't it also say that judgment will be merciless to those who show no mercy? Seems to me the more we know about His Word and about the Lord Himself, uh, it should make us more humble. Amen. John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? So let's express our racism here and our blasphemy. I'm not, demon, I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. It's a big deal to the Lord. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And of course, they freak out about that, and Jesus ends up in the bottom of this, uh, this chapter saying, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. And this they picked up stones to stone him. Here he is again, the incarnate Son of God. Here he is, the fulfillment of the word, and they can't recognize who he is. Amen. Dishonor. Uh, you have to be careful because there's a lot of it in the body of Christ. It's wrapped up in religion and legalism. It's, it's wrapped up in, in uh, denominational racism. You're not this or you're not that, so somebody can't ex you'll receive you and welcome you because you're going to have that persuasion. I'm glad to see the Lord tear down all denominational walls. Spirit of God doesn't care one iota what your background is. As long as you're hungry for the Word of God, hungry for the things of God, He'll visit you. Amen. He'll save you, baptize you in the Holy Ghost. But all of that is part of that Pharisaical dishonorable thing. Um, what somebody should care about is whether you know the Lord or not. Have you experienced the new birth? Are you part of the family of God? That's what really matters. And, uh, you know, people come in all kinds and Types and denominations when it comes to the truth of, of the new birth and what he's done for us. So, you know, their lives at this moment could have been marked by this amazing revelation. I am is standing right in front of us. I am. God, there he is. Could have bowed down and the story could have been different. Say, so is it possible? How can three Semitic kings that we know of for sure when Jesus was born go to him and take two years to find him and worship? How can they have that revelation? And the people with the scriptures not have the revelation. They should have bowed down and said, I am. You are. You are God incarnate. You are El Elyon in the flesh. You are El Shaddai, and we worship you. Can you see what they missed? Because the dishonor blocked them from increasing in revelation and in the goodness of God. I'm sure some of them after the fact, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and a few others, who knows, maybe even Gamaliel came to his senses you know, through Paul's influence. Could you imagine all the times they had these encounters with Jesus, any moment in time they could have recognized him, but they were blind. Amen? Forget about it, I could have had a V8. I could have had the Son of God. <laughs> I could have had the Messiah <laughs> and everything that he has. But no, dishonor blocked them. Um, contrast that with those in Scripture who ran into Jesus and welcomed him. 
even with limited revelation, acknowledged him, received him, valued him. Like the centurion in Matthew 8 where he asked Jesus to heal this servant. Oh, I'll come, I'll come with you and we'll get it done. No, no, you don't even have to come into my house. Just say the word. I'm a man under authority, and I tell this one to go when it goes, and this one to come when it comes. And Jesus was marveling at this man. He said, I've not found this. What? Again, I've not found this functional honor for the word even among the Pharisees, even among those in the house of Israel. This Roman centurion who became a believer had something that they didn't have. Can you see this? All the pedigree in the world. You'll spend all your life you know, at the, at the tutelage of these Pharisees and the teachers and the rabbis. All the degrees in the world don't matter if you don't have honor. It'd be better for you to have nothing and have honor than to have all these things as far as pedigree and then have dishonor. Paul finally figured that out. He talked about his pedigree. You know what he called it? Dumb. The surpassing greatness of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. This stuff is just dung. It's just trash. It's to be cast out. That's what matters is knowing him. See, you can have people that are, that are well pedigreed with great honor for God. I, uh, I think Nicodemus had a, had a pure heart. Joseph of Arimathea seemed like he didn't care what people thought about him. I'm going to identify with him in life. I'm going to identify with him in his death. I don't care if you cast me aside or whatever. There were people of great pedigree that absolutely had honor in their lives, but they were few and far between. Now, the question is, where, where we are today with all of our revelation, are we going to make sure that fun, you know, foundationally the honor of God is operating in our lives? Say it with me. The honor will attract God's best in my life. Say it again, honor, honor. will attract God's best in my life. So I want to just real quickly go back to these seven factors. Everybody say seven factors. I, I want you to have these burned in your consciousness because if you line up with these, you're going to see increase in your life. God is no respecter of persons. He's respecting people who actually honor him in the principles and the revelation that we've actually received. It's not how much we've heard, it's how, many, how much we're honoring in the process. So first of all, these seven factors are all a manifestation of honor, every single one of them. Say this to me, the seven factors for supernatural increase. Come on, I want you to say it boldly. The seven factors for supernatural increase are all manifestations of honor. That's why they work. Number one, I honor God when I walk in the truth. When I discover and then commit to it, and then I grow a little bit more, and I discover, and then what? I commit to it. How many are still discovering things about the truth of God and walking in His way? Yes, we're still growing. That's the way it's supposed to be. The Pharisee says, I'm done with Sunday school. You can't teach me anything. That person is not walking in the truth. Therefore, they're dishonoring God. The reality is I honor God when I walk in the truth, when I'm on a perpetual you know, lifestyle of discovery and then commitment and application. Say so it now, walk in the truth. The reason this will increase you is because it's a manifestation of honor, and God will honor those who honor him. Can you get this tonight? Number two, I honor God when I am diligent. I just don't start this pathway. I'm steady, and I continue in 
what I have heard. Paul told that to Timothy. Jesus pointed it out in John chapter 8 to the, to the Pharisees, to the Jews that believed him. And he said, you know what? You need not just hear and believe, but you need to continue in what I have said and continue. Then you'll be my disciples. Then you'll have revelation. You'll know the truth. And then that truth will make you free. It's not enough to believe. Even the demons what? Believe. And they tremble. But when I am diligent, does that make sense? Um, I've I've never had to call Rodney on the phone and say, Rodney, you need to come to church. Amen. Uh, What is that a a demonstration of? Diligence. Diligence. It's no wonder that God's moving in his family's lives. It's not rocket science. But you and I want to be diligent for a week. Or a month or a year. You have to make up your mind, I'm going to walk in honor until I draw my last breath. I'm raptured. I'm going to walk in honor all the days of my life as a Christian. I'm going to be diligent, steady in continuing what I have heard. I don't, I don't have to revisit things to find out, oh, because that's what we're supposed to do. No, I'm just going to keep on doing what I've already learned and continue in the things that we have walked in day in and day out. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a self-disciplined learner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was really the same way when I first got born again and came to this church. You know, and Driving back from Illinois on a Sunday night, I went a little over the speed limit. I didn't have that revelation yet. To do what? To get back to church. I know what the culture is saying right now. It doesn't matter. It's not important. We can do this. We can do that. We can watch you online. If you're watching online, just repent and show up next time. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now, we do that to bless people and help people. But when you look at this thing through the lens of honor, it changes everything. Honor for what? The example of Jesus? The command of the Word of God? The demonstrated example of the Lord and his disciples. Yes, we're going to be what? Diligent. Well, and I uh, honor God, you know, when I, when I am diligent, I'm actually honoring him. And what? When's this going to kick in? After one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years? No, it's a quality decision. And I'm going to honor God by being diligent. Diligence is steady application to any business. In this case, the business of serving God and doing what he wants you to do. This is the Wednesday night crowd. This is the Overcomers Club. There ought to be some shouting going on here at this Presbyterian church tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Not oh me. Amen. Said I'm diligent. And I like it. I love to be diligent. I've told you many times it's the steady, boring Christian ultimately that gets the best of God. I'll be high, you know, for a month or two, excited, and then you settle back down into some life of compromise or sin. Number three, I honor God when I'm faithful. This speaks of fidelity of your heart. Idols aren't there. The high places are torn down. You're serving him wholeheartedly. Nothing between you and the Lord. You honor him. We know what faithfulness is. We understand the concept, but what we need to see tonight is It gives him honor. We give him honor when we are faithful. And this is a world that doesn't know much about faithfulness. Not in personal relationships, you know, not in terms of, you know, dealing with responsibility towards those that that may be elderly among us or whatever the case may be. 
We have lots of opportunities to demonstrate this, and when we do, it's it's honor. Amen. Say with me, I'm going to walk in honor. Uh, you know, Caleb described it as being wholehearted. Look at somebody and say, all in. So that's different from religion. Sunday, go to meeting. Check off the box and get on with your life. But all in. That's what it means to honor him. Say it again. I said, I am all in. Number four, I honor God when I tithe. If I don't tithe, what am I doing? I'm dishonoring him. And if it's okay for you to live less than God's best, then perfectly fine. So this is about us trying to turn you upside down and then pour all the money out of you into a, you know, from you into a bucket. It's about you understanding this is the way to get God's best in your life. It's an ancient principle that goes all the way back to the revelation that Abraham had. And even before, we, we believe that actually Abel had the revelation. And ultimately was, was murdered because he had the revelation and Cain wouldn't walk in the revelation. We know that both of them would have been taught of the Lord. And it even goes back earlier than that when God said to Adam and Eve, that is my tree, don't touch it. That's the tithe. Honor me. What happened in the garden was what? Dishonor destroyed everything. And it has the same effect today in our lives. So get over this. It's, it's an obligation. You know, it's an expectation. It's what the church preaches, blah, blah, blah. Just sell it forever. It really is an honor issue. Amen. He blessed you. He increased you. He gave you a job. He gave you an opportunity. Now honor him with the first fruits of all your increase. It's wise to say, yes, we give the first thin dime of every dollar, but actually we should be mindful that actually it's all his. We are just stewards. So what happens when somebody gets all bristly over this, this thing and just shuts down their ears just like a Pharisee listening to Stephen preach? It's just dishonor. Amen. Look at somebody and say, he's preaching better than you're shouting right now. Yes, amen. It is fundamentally an honor issue. It is fundamentally saying, you know what, Lord? Just like you brought your people out of Egypt, you brought me out. You brought me out of this thing, out of that thing. And how can I not respond every single time you bless me with my first thought? I've really gotten to enjoy electronic giving late. You know why? Because it's fast. In my hands and what? Out. And you can pray just like you can do Deuteronomy 26, and you can speak words of faith over it. But it's, it's a lot of fun when you get the revelation. It's just an honor thing. Say it with me. I honor God when I tithe. And he honors me with tither's rights. That's a pretty good deal when you think about it. It's fundamentally an honor issue, but then he turns right around and gives this thing called tither's rights. We're honoring him. Hallelujah. Number five, I honor God when I sow. I'm not just tithing, but I'm sowing. And he honors me with sower's promises. <laughs> Amen. So he tithing. Praise the Lord. That's great. Now be sensitive to the Lord to know when you should be sowing seed on top of your tithe. And the tithe is already prescribed by God, the storehouse, the local church, his presence, God's plan to evangelize the world. It's not so clear in Scripture. There are some indicators, obviously, for missions and things like that. But you should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when it comes to sowing your seed. If tithing's honorable, can you see how sowing is very honorable towards the Lord? You say, what do I do with it? I've already honored you. I've given you 
you know, the first ten dimes of every dollar. I've honored you, and I'm expecting tithers rights of my life. But, Lord, I, I feel impressed to, to do this. And there are lots of things you can do. Um, it's always good ground to invest further in your local church. People's lives are being changed all the time. From the littlest ones to the oldest ones among us, those that are hurting, those that are going through you know, grief, those that are sick in the hospital, those that are battling various things. Whatever you do is impacting lives every single day in ways that sometimes don't mean that much to us, but can be a huge breath of fresh air for somebody when they're going through a tough time. And you can do that. Uh, people ask me all the time, what about good seed for sowing? Uh, KCM is always good ground. In fact, it's some of the fastest ground in terms of receiving a harvest back from the Lord when you do that. Uh, I felt impressed when I, I thought about this the other day, and I just want to point this out to you. I'm not telling you what to do. I am not your Holy Spirit. I do not want the job. It's all we can do just to be the pastor. Amen. I do not want to be your Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I'm just pointing this out to you that it happens every time when, when he'll prompt you to do something and you listen to him. I, uh, St. Jude's, for example, is not just there by accident. There's a, there's a man inspired by God who, who set that thing up, and to this day, it's some of the finest ground you can sow into. You want to know why? Not only are they helping the kids, but they're not charging people anything. They may have insurance, they'll take it, but I mean, I understand when you're dealing with childhood cancer, it could wipe out your insurance policy in six months. Um, I'm just telling you that uh, some time ago I felt real impressed to do this, and it's, it's one of the things that I'm sowing into, and I just get filled with joy whenever I see a commercial or a fundraiser going on, knowing that I'm in partnership with God's hand through that particular ministry, because He wants His people well, and suffer the little children coming to Him and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. It's just a nice place, a good place to put your, amen, your seed. Amen. Anything support the nation of Israel is a good place. We have one organization we're working with, and every time we sow a seed as a church, every time, God does something extraordinary in the ministry. Every single time. I'll bless them. Is that, is that, the, is that the word of God? It's, it's not just back then, it's today. And if you want to, we'll, you, you earmark that and that will go. We've had people do that, and, and, and Joy can tell you, we see that, man, and we want that out as fast as lightning because we understand what God's going to do. He's mindful when people bless his people that way. So what is it about? What's behind it? The mechanics? No, it's about honor. See my people down there, and they're... They're honoring me by honoring my people Israel. They're honoring me by getting involved with what I'm doing in the earth. They're honoring me by advancing the mission of the local church. It's a big deal. If we will just switch our thinking to, to thinking about these things in terms of honor, it'll revolutionize our lives. Not the have to. Did you do this? Won't you do that? But it's, it's honor. I honor God when I sow. Number six, I honor God when I believe. When I take him at his word, no matter what I see or hear or feel, when I believe him, I honor him. It's to his great honor to believe what he said. And it's dishonorable to be a doubter. Amen. Jesus was kind to Thomas, but make no mistake about it. It was very dishonorable to say, unless I see the wounds. And thrust my hand where you have been wounded. I'm not really going to believe this stuff. No, blessed are those that believe and what? And have not seen. Do you see that? 
Blessed are those empowered to prosper, those who honor me by believing, even though they haven't seen these things. It's a big deal. I honor God when I believe. Say it, I'm a believing believer. And that honors God. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to understand how Mary was, you know, had, gave birth to, to a baby as a virgin. You don't have to understand how the whole fiery furnace thing worked out. You don't have to understand how God spoke the world into existence and voila, there it is. You don't have to understand how the Red Sea was parted. You know what your job is? Believe. Believe. Say it with me. Blah, 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 blah. Believe. You don't have to mentally figure everything out. First of all, you're not that sharp. It's arrogant, unless I can mentally deduce and analyze this. That's just an excuse not to believe. Just stop relying on this so much and start relying on the spirit man who is equipped perfectly to believe what God has said. When your mind tries to contradict it, you say, no, you shut up. Educated beyond your intelligence level, shut up. I'm going to what? I'm going to honor God and believe. Say it, I'm a believer. Number seven, I honor God when I speak in faith. So after believing, I go around talking about doubt, fear, and unbelief and contradicting God's word. That is dishonorable. We need to agree with what he has said and not just in church. But all the time. Amen. And, and of the seven things, guess which one seems to be the most difficult for the average Christian day to day? The speaking part. There's just something about us that's want to talk the way things are and talk down and misuse our mouth. And look, it, it doesn't honor God. And if you don't believe that, just remember the story in Numbers. God was listening to what all the grumblers said and the evil report of unbelief. And you know what God said? I've heard it all, and I'm going to see to it that everything you said comes to pass. Make sure that what we're saying in the house, in the tent, instead of grumbling in the tent, in the house of God, at work, wherever you are, is actually honoring God. Amen. Raise your hand if you want God's best. Amen. Then make sure you're doing it. Say to me, I honor God when I walk in the truth, when I'm diligent, when I'm faithful, when I tithe, when I sow, when I believe, when I speak. I honor God. Now, I'm going to tell you next week four ways to honor God in your daily lives. We'll get into the details of that, that message. But I want to just finish this up by drawing your attention back to the scripture in 1 Samuel 2.30. Those who honor me, I will honor. Do you know who was talking to whom in that story? This was directed at the household of Eli, who allowed his sons to pervert the worship of God for gain and for sexual lust and immorality. And he said, I'll honor those that honor me. But you have what? You have not honored me. And so that, that lineage in terms of the service is, is done away with. Why is this a big deal? Why is it a big deal that the Pharisees walked in that kind of dishonor? I'll tell you why. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And God, the more God gives to you and to me of his revelation of his person, the more honor is expected, not less honor. Raise your hand if you've received much from God. Then we should have more honor. Now, I promise you this, his word is so true in this principle. All of these are manifestations of honor. 
Suppose you started this year and, and one or two were weaker than others. How many know you can address that and fix it? I have a better amen than you can address and fix maybe the one or two, whatever. And if you had all seven of them, you're going, oh, I didn't know. Now you know. Now you can apply yourself to walking in honor. But don't reduce it to some just principle or command. See it all as developing and cultivating honor in your life. And say, when I honor God, he'll honor me. The best he has. Amen. You believe that? Give him a hand clap if you believe that tonight. Bless him.